Well, I was born and raised in Orange County, Southern California, right along the coast, a little town called Huntington Beach. And after the sand ended, the pavement started. And the pavement went from right about the edge of the sand until the San Bernardino Mountains, about 50 miles away. Uh, and city after city after city kind of sprawled, this kind of Los Angeles basin, Orange County basin area, and it just everything was paved. Uh, there wasn't a sense of like unique, distinct cities, civic pride. It was just kind of a mass of people and cities running from the coast up to the mountains. And that's kind of the world I lived in. So I didn't grow up in a small town world. I didn't grow up in, with the idea of, uh, you know, the identity with my town. And then God brings into my wife, the woman who would become my wife, uh, Sherry, who's a good Holland, Michigan girl, uh, a, a, a West Michigan small town uh, girl. And it was interesting, uh, when, we, when God brought us together, we were looking and saying, well, I'm from Southern California, she's from West Michigan. You know, we lived a couple of years in Southern California, they were like, we need to decide where we're going to land. So we kind of took a map, and we put a pin at Southern California, and a pin in West Michigan, and we picked a spot directly in the middle which my wife explained, explained to me was West Michigan. <laughs> so we moved there for 20 years. That's called the marriage compromise. Watch and learn. Uh, but uh, so we, we ended up living in West Michigan for 20 years. And we moved, uh, while we were in West Michigan, we moved to this small town called Byron Center. And Byron Center is a small town. At the time, it had one light on the corner of Byron Center Avenue and 84th Street. And so we moved to this small town. And I pastored a church there, and I was continuing with some studies. And one day, my three boys come running up to me, and they're little guys. They, let's see, they were, this is the stage of life, and so I showed my little guys there at this time. So Zach, Josh, and I, that's my three boys at the time. And these little guys run up to me, and they go, Dad, Dad, can we go to the Byron Center Parade? We want to go to the Byron Center Parade. And inside, I'm thinking, no. Um, I don't want to go to some, I, I'm thinking, it's, it's gonna, I know it's going it's to be like a couple flatbed trucks and the local fire engine and some convertibles and it's going to be uh, the, you know, the sixth grade girls volleyball team and the eighth grade, you know, it's going to, I'm imagining, and by the way, I was right, um, but I'm imagining what it's going to be like and in my mind I'm thinking, I don't want to go. Then I'm thinking to myself, I lived for three years in Pasadena where the Rose Parade happens and I'd been to the Rose Parade, the largest and most kind of amazing parade in the world and that kind of bored me. Um, I tried to keep my attention. So I was like, the, can I, do we want to go to the Byron Center Parade? But I look at those three little faces. I'm a parent. So parents, I looked at my boys and I said, of course, yes. I'd love to go to the Byron Center Parade. Even though inside I'm thinking it's going to be just, no, I'm thinking no one's going to be there. I said to my boys, well, who goes to the Byron Center Parade? And they said, everybody. okay, see, so some of you have been around small, they said, everybody. So I, a short time later, I find myself sitting on the curb around the corner of 84th and Byron Center Avenue, where the one streetlight that we were quite proud of was, and I'm sitting on the curb, and I'm looking up and down the street, and everyone in town is there. And it looks like they've bussed people in from Moline and Door and these other, like, little towns. People have, like, traveled in to come to this parade, which I just know is going to be—there's just nothing in it. And so I'm sitting there thinking, I'm thinking, why are all these people here? What is going on? And so I'm sitting there, and as, I, as I'm pondering this sort, of, this sort of existential question, why are all these people here at the Byron Center Parade? Uh, I can't figure it out. And then the kids are sitting on the edge of the curb, and they're just all excited, and they're like wound up, and, they're, and I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm baffled. So then the parade starts, and all the, the, the you know, the cars, and, and when, when they, a couple of floats, all that means is like some crepe paper on the edges of like a, a 
pickup truck. But they, you know, they, they start coming down the road, and in about two or three minutes, I realize why these kids are so excited. Now, if you've been, if you grew up in a small, how many of you grew up in a small town or around small town stuff? Okay, in one word, tell me why these kids are so excited. Okay, so there it is. I, I had no idea, but there seems to be this universal uh, thing that out of these flat bugs, bu- beds and out of these trucks, they're throwing candy. And that's, that's the deal. That's, that's what they, these kids, and they, I realize they got like, they got lunch sacks and, and uh, uh, pillowcases, and they're going to collect. And I, there's kids literally diving under flat beds with wheels almost rolling over them, grabbing. It's, it's crazy. So anyways, the parade starts. And all these, you know, cars and trucks and stuff are going down. And in every one of them, there's mostly kids or teenagers, and they're throwing candy. And so I, now I start watching. And I'm kind of a student of human nature. And so I'm just watching and observing. And this is what I observed. There's two primary kinds of kids when it comes to candy throwing. They don't get training. It's just fundamental and core to their being. All right? So, so in every, every kid, every young person, they've got these buckets. They've got these baskets. They've got these bags, these bowls of candy. And they're, so they're traveling down the parade route, and they're sitting on the edge of a flatbed. And so I'm watching these kids, and there's this kid. In every, in every truck, every flatbed, there's this kid. Snickers. Snickers. <laughs> and they're, and they're, and they're they're looking, and it's like they're waiting for the right wind conditions and the right moment, and they might finally see somebody who looks really excited. Rob, you don't look very excited, but your wife looks quite excited. So I'm going to, for, for candy here. So then they finally might throw one candy out. And he stole it. How do you like that? <laughs> so, and so, so they're going down the parade, and they finally might throw like one candy. And I'm thinking to myself, they must think that when the parade's over, they get to keep all the candy for themselves or something, because they have no interest in throwing candy. Then, then there's another kind of kid. So this first kid is this kind, of, kind of this cautious, conservative candy thrower. Then there's this kind of this reckless, radical, relentless candy-throwing kid who the parade starts, they're, tra- they're traveling, and they're, they're, like, they're like two yards down the parade route, and they take both hands, they thrust them into their bag, and they just start throwing candy <laughs> like this. Oh, you back row people, you back row people, you missed it today, let me tell you. And they just, and they just start... Throwing candy, exactly. And they're just, and they're just, they're just going down the parade route, and they're, oh, my wife is ready for, okay. And they're just, all they need is a little bit, a little, little something, yeah, you bet. And they're just throwing candy all over the, you look hungry, there you go, bam. And they're, and you get this feeling, you get this feeling with these kids, they're going to be like five yards down the parade route, and their bag's going to be empty. Because they're just, they're just throwing candy and throwing candy. And I have, and in the midst of that, I'm sitting on the, on, the, on the curb, on the corner of 84th and Byron Center Avenue. I'm watching this parade. I'm looking at these kids. And I have one of these moments that you've had too if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've read the Bible, where all of a sudden, a passage of the Bible just comes alive. You go, oh. And I had this moment, I go, that's what Jesus was talking about. And so what came to my mind was this passage from Luke chapter 8. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 8, verse 4. We'll have it on the screens as well. And and so this passage came to my mind. See if you can figure out why as I read the passage. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told them this parable. He told them this story. A farmer went out to sow his seed as he was scattering 
scattering the seed. Some fell along the path. It was trampled on. The birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When Jesus had said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. If you have ears to hear, hear what Jesus is saying. Jesus is, is getting at something here. And I think we miss this. Oftentimes when we look at this parable, we look at the soil, and that's important. That's a good way to look at it. But we also need to look at the sower. We usually call it the parable of the sower, but then we pay more attention to the soil. I want you to notice the sower because the sower is a strange farmer. The sower doesn't sow like a normal farmer sowed back then or today. In those days, most people in the farming industry were quite poor. They lived day by day or at least season by season. And seed was very expensive. And even though there were some kinds of seed that were planted and some that were kind of broadcast and thrown out this way, nobody, and I mean nobody, threw seed into areas filled with weeds or threw seed on paths or roads or hard-packed ground. They just didn't. It was too expensive. They, they, were, they, were, they were sowing and yielding harvest for their life, for their family. But this sower just goes everywhere just throwing seed, throwing seed. Throwing, it's almost like the sower doesn't care about the soil. It'll, it'll figure itself out. The sower's job is just to scatter seed. So the sower goes and scatters and scatters and scatters. And, and I live now in an area that's right near the Salinas Valley. It's one of the richest farmlands on the planet. Most of, most of the produce that we have in the United States comes out of the Salinas Valley. And so I have lots of agricultural people and farmers in our church and they will explain to me, oh, when we do farming now, we, we know the soil condition, we know the temperatures, we know how deep to plant a seed, how far apart to plant the seeds. When, I mean, it's, it's a science. It is not random. It is strategic. And, and this idea of farming where you just scatter seed with no concern for the kind of soil it's in, it's just scattering, is a different way of thinking. And that's what struck me as, as I dug into this passage. That's what struck me as I was thinking about it. So, so this farmer, you look at this farmer, the sower, and he's like this seed-throwing machine. He's reckless, he's bold, he's relentless, just scatter seed, scatter seed, scatter seed. Almost like he wasn't going to run out of seed, just kept scattering. I want to ask you three questions. And I want to ask you to respond to the first two out loud, and then the third one I want to ask you to reflect on personally. First question is this. And, and I, I want to get a, a context. We understand, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you come to the cross and receive Jesus, that Jesus isn't talking about seeds and soil. He's talking about the good news, the gospel, the message of salvation in Jesus, and the hearts of human beings. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's getting at. And for us, as we learn from Jesus, we understand. And if you're here and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, or you walked in here today and, and just kind of said, I just a friend invited me, I know nothing about any of this. You know, what's, what Jesus is getting at is he's saying, there's this good news, there's this message, this life-changing message that's changed a lot of our lives. And, and this picture of scattering it freely and generously. So in, with that in mind, here's my first question for you. In light of all of this, where should, where should we throw the seed of God's love, God's grace, and the message of Jesus? According to this parable, where's the right place to sow the seed of God's gospel and God's love? What's the answer? Everywhere. That's the right answer. I think the, the, the sower isn't concerned about what soil. The sower is concerned about sowing. And the soil will take care of itself. Our concern is not always to be, is everyone's heart ready? Our concern is to scatter the seed. 
And so then here's the second question. And it's a logical response. Second, when should we throw the seed of God's love, grace, and the message of Jesus? When's the right time? What's the answer? All the time. Any moment, any time, anywhere. Now the third question I want to ask you is a little bit more reflective. And I want you to ponder this in your own heart. Why should we throw the seed of God's love, grace, and good news even when the soil might not look receptive? Think about that. Why, if we're to scatter seed everywhere and all the time, if we're even to scatter seed in a place that doesn't look receptive, why? Why? Now, now here's my answer, and, and I, I hope in my answer, my answer might be a little bit offensive to some of you, but if it is, that's okay. Because I'm a pastor, and one of the jobs of pastors is to offend people. Did you know that? Isn't that true? Isn't that true, pastor? Amen. You know the old saying, pastors should comfort the afflicted, right? And afflict the comfortable. All right? So, so let me afflict you a little bit here. Um, why should we throw the seed of God's love, grace, and good news even when the soil does, might not look receptive? And here's the answer. Because we are not smart enough to know when the soil is ready. So you're telling me I'm not smart enough? That's exactly what I'm saying to you. You don't have the ability to look at a person and say, I know what's in your heart, and I know you're ready. You don't have the ability, and I don't have the ability to know. You know what we do? We go, through, we go down the parade route of life deciding when to throw the seed because we somehow can tell, oh, that person's not ready. I, I'm not going to throw my pearls before swine. You know, I'm not going to waste the gospel on that person. When the message is scatter, scatter, scatter. And we can't know. We're just not that smart to know, to look at a person and see inside of their heart. And I praise God that when I became a Christian, there were a few people in my life who just scattered the seed and didn't look and see if I was ready. At, at, almost, at 15, almost 16 years old, I was a surf punk. I was totally self-centered. I, didn't, I, I truly cared about nothing but myself and what would please me at any given moment. My heart seemed so far from the kingdom of God. But my sister Gretchen, out of a whole extended family of over 100 people, there was only one Christian. And my sister Gretchen came to the cross and met Jesus, and she was changed. And you know what she did? She just started to scatter seed into my life. She started to pray for me. She started to care for me in a different way and love me. She started to share with me in her own, Gretchen's very shy, but in her own shy way, she started to talk about her faith, and I was merciless with her. I was so, I remember one time throwing her Bible on the ground and stomping on it, saying, don't tell me about all this garbage. That's the, that's the nice version of it. I was horrible to her, and she just kept scattering. And then a guy named Doug Drainville came along. Doug was an old guy. He was 19, and uh, I was, he had a car. He had a Volkswagen Beetle. He had a car. He was in college. He just seemed like an old guy to me, but he came alongside of me, and he, and he befriended me, even though I was still this hard-hearted punk. He actually said to me, hey, anytime you need a ride somewhere, give me a call. He lived like 20 minutes away from where I lived. I would call him. He would drive over, pick me up, drive me usually to my girlfriend's house, drop me off, Go do something. And I'd call him later. He'd come pick me up and take me home. Probably about an hour round trip for him. And when we rode together in his car, he talked about life and what he was doing. But you know what always came up? Jesus. You know why? He loved Jesus. He was changed by the grace of Jesus. And he would love me and serve me and tell the story of Jesus and how Jesus changed his life. And I look back 
And I, think, I don't think I ever offered him gas money. And I don't think I ever actually even said thank you to him. That's what a punk I was. And he just kept showing up and serving me and sharing his changed life in Jesus. And then a guy named Dan came along. He was a youth pastor at this church that I started to go to with my sister. And this guy, Dan, told the story of Jesus, about the love of God, the death of Jesus on the cross for my sins in my place, and his resurrection to win over death and hell on the grave. And, and, and Dan would just share the story. And, and one of the things that, that Lon, one of your pastors, taught me is the idea of a prayer, care, share lifestyle. And my sister Gretchen prayed for me as well as the other things, and, and Doug cared for me and served me, and Dan shared. And they all did all three, but they each kind of had their own part in my life. And, and listen closely to this. Here I am, this hard heart. I mean, to every outward appearance, I was weedy, hard soil that nobody should have wasted one single seed on. But these three people relentlessly began to scatter seed into my life. And you know what? I didn't even know it. My heart was ready. And the soil was soft. The outside looked crusty and hard and angry, and my heart was ready. And the seed that they scattered of the good news of Jesus settled into my heart and took root. And I, and I, and we were, I went away with this youth group on this, on this uh, summer trip. And on like, the last night of the summer trip, they invited people to respond to the gospel, and I responded. I received Jesus. That night, while I'm laying in bed, that night, I've been a Christian for about an hour and a half. I'm laying in bed, and I, say, and I just say, okay, God, what's next? And this is what God put on my heart. I didn't hear it with my ears, but I heard in my heart. This is what I heard. Spend the rest of your life telling people about Jesus, or you'll be miserable. Which seems a little harsh. Um, but uh, but that's, what, that's what God said to me. And I didn't want to be miserable. So the next morning, the, the, this guy, Doug, who's kind of the volunteer you know, youth helper with this youth group, I said to Doug, what do I have to do to become a pastor? He says, you've been a Christian like seven hours. I said, I know, but I have to become a pastor. He said, get a haircut. <laughs> I, I had hair done like down to here. And I said, I have to get a haircut. He said, no, I'm just joking. But he says, you should probably finish. I had an 0.75 that year in high school. 0.75. He said, you should probably finish high school. And, you should pro- and he gave me a Bible. And he said, you're supposed to read this. That's good old school training right there. Read this book. And, and, but from that moment on, my life was changed. If they would have looked at me, like most of us do with people, and said, hmm, do you look ready? Is this the right moment? Are the wind conditions right? They, nobody would have thrown a single seed my way. You know what they did? They just scattered and scattered. And because of that, because of God's grace, because of that gift, my life was changed. And so now we get to us today, in our world today, and for so many of us today, we, we don't, you know, we're traveling down the parade route of life, and we've got a bucket full of good news. I mean, we've got the good news. The thing about the good news of Jesus is the more you scatter it, the more fun you have, and the more you scatter it, the more you have. You never run out. But, but I think sometimes we travel down the parade route of life waiting for the exact right person at the exact right time and the exact right... Instead of just naturally, lovingly scattering, scattering. And, and I think for many people, they say, well, I, I don't want to do evangelism. I don't want to... I call it organic outreach. Naturally reach out with God's love. I don't want to do that because it makes me uncomfortable. It stretches me. But, but I remember these words of Jesus in moments like that. In Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, then Jesus said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple, my person in this world, must deny themselves, take up their cross every day, be willing to die, and follow me, follow his example. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. I mean, this is the invitation of Jesus. 
Deny yourself, take up your cross, and live like Jesus. That's the, do you remember that? Do you remember that part of the Bible? Remember that thing? Right? That's still, it's still true today. So for many people, they say, well, this is going to stretch me. This is going to make me feel uncomfortable. This is going to push me beyond my own personal kind of where I like to live my life. And you say, exactly, you're a follower of Jesus if you're a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, you become one, guess what? God's going to call you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. There's nothing more exciting and glorious. There's nothing more challenging than following Jesus. But that's the call. That's the invitation. The invitation of Jesus is a call to reckless faith that costs everything because he gave everything for us. So what I want to do with the moments I have left is I want to give you four ways you can start scattering right now. Four ideas. Uh, very briefly, you can go into depth on these things. And I know Lon and the church, you guys do training and equipping and all kinds of opportunities to go deeper. But four things that you can start doing right away, very doable things. And I have a fifth one that God put on my heart during the first service, Rob, as you were sharing. And I'm going to share a fifth one if I get a moment at the end just to give you a, a fifth way to scatter. But, but the first way, and so the question then becomes, how can you as individuals and as a congregation here at Wheaton Bible Church scatter the seed of the gospel with greater passion and greater freedom? And here's the first thing. Love people as Jesus does. Just love people the way Jesus does. He went to the broken, the outcast, the marginalized, the under-resourced. He went to the people that everybody else avoided. And he, he loved them. Jesus got in trouble by the religious establishment of his day because he would hang out with the wrong kind of people. Tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, other side of the track kind of people. And, and they got upset at Jesus because he not only hung out with these people, he seemed to like them. No, no, that's not even totally right. He seemed to what? Love them. He loved these people. And so should we. Who's that person in your community? that's outcast on the margins. Love them in the name of Jesus. Who's that person in your neighborhood who has everything they could possibly need, everything the world offers, but they have nothing that's going to last forever? Love them in the name of Jesus. I love in, I love in Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus is, is looking at the people, and it says he has compassion on them because they're harassed and helpless. It says they're just like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus' heart went out for them because he knew they were wandering. And our hearts need to go out for people who are wandering far from Jesus. So start to pray, Lord, sensitize my heart. And if you just begin to scatter the love of Jesus by loving people in the name and the power of Jesus, that'll start the process. Start loving people. God, help us to love people well. But the second thing is to pray for and with people when God opens the door. To pray for people and to pray with people in the name and the power of Jesus. Who are you praying for right now that's far from Jesus? And how often do you pray for them? Scatter the seed as you get on your knees, as you seek, Lord, Lord, soften their heart. Lord, prepare them. Lord, give me boldness to share your love with them. Give me the right words to articulate my story and your story. Who are you praying for? Pray faithfully and passionately. We had, we had Lee Strobel out to, to speak at an event at our church, and Lee talked about this little idea. It's a simple idea, one, one, one. He, I'm sure he got it somewhere else. But he said, he said, the idea is this, that at one o'clock every day, for one minute, you pray for one person that doesn't know Jesus. He said, put it in your phone, but just have their name pop up at one o'clock. If one o'clock doesn't work, any other time is fine. Just a good time to have it, you know, once a day, a pop-up to pray for one person for one minute. One of the guys who was at that conference, he's a pastor in New Zealand, one of the most post-Christian, hard places to share the gospel. He shared with me the other day, 
I'm on my third person now, a pop up my phone, because the first two have become Christians. And it all started with him praying faithfully and daily for them and for himself to be able to share God's love. So pray faithfully for people, but also pray with people who don't know Jesus. And some of, you, some of you go, that makes perfect sense. Some of you go, that makes no sense at all. How do I pray with a non-Christian? No, a non-Christian is not going to pray with me. Here's my response to you. Yes, they will. You would be amazed. I've asked hundreds and hundreds of people who are not Christians if I could just take a moment and pray with them. And I still to this day never had anybody say no, ever. I talked with a woman on a plane who was an atheistic, humanistic communist who ran a camp to keep young people from becoming Christians in Berlin. And she let me pray for her before our conversation was done. So how does that work? Well, you're talking with somebody, a close person, a close friend, family member, or somebody you've just met. And they share an incredible joy, an incredible joy in their life. And you look at them and say, man, that's amazing. Would you mind, I, I don't know if you're into this thing, but I, I really love to pray. Would you mind if I just real quick said a prayer and thanked God for what you just shared with me? So somebody pulls out their phone and says, oh, I've got to show you a picture. I just became a grandpa. I just, this is my little granddaughter, Allie. Just became a grandpa. And you're a Christian. And you look at me and say, you know what, this may sound really weird to you, but would you mind if I just said a prayer for Allie and prayed for you to be a wonderful grandpa? Oh, yeah, sure, that'd be nice. You'd be amazed at how, and, and you might ask someone, would it be okay if I prayed with you? And they might say something like this. They might say something like this. Brace yourself. No, thank you. And you'll say, I've been persecuted for the gospel. I've, oh, oh, what I've been through. Oh, how painful it is. Someone said no thank you to me. You know, that's about as bad as it's going to get. But would you risk a potential no thank you for a much more potential, yeah, that'd be nice. Because you know, when we pray, the Spirit of God shows up. I can tell you how many people, non-believers, I've prayed with, and when I say amen, I look at them, and there's tears running down their face. They don't even know why. I know why. God shows up. God's present. Pray for people. And if somebody shares a deep pain and a deep struggle, to be able to say, you know, let me, may, may, I, may I pray for you? We, we, we were in a, the airport in Kansas City just recently, Sherry and I were. And we landed, we're standing at the, at the turnstile there and waiting for our luggage. And a guy standing next to me. So I just said to the guy, so are you coming home or uh, leaving home? And I know what his travels were doing with him. And he said, oh, he said, I'm actually... He said, kind of both. I'm coming home to what used to be my home, but now I'm also, he kind of explained the situation. I said, well, what, what brings you on your trip? And he stands there next to me. And he says, I just found out my mom has stage four cancer, and I've come back to be with her. So there we stand. What do you say? I just said to him, you know what? I said, this may sound really weird. So you don't even have to close your eyes or anything, but I said, I, would you let me just pray for your mom and pray for you as you go? I didn't ask him, are you a Christian? I just said, could I pray for you? He said, that'd be, he said, that'd be really nice. As we talked a little bit after I prayed, I found out he was not a Christian at all. But it meant so much to him that I prayed for him. And then interestingly, after we finished our whole conversation, he looks at me and he goes, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He goes, he goes are you like a pastor or something? <laughs> and I wish I could have told him no. I wish I could have just said, I'm just a person who loves Jesus. I actually said to him, I, I actually I am a pastor, but I said, I would have prayed for you even if I wasn't. Pray for people. And that's scatter the seed. As you love as you pray. And then third, engage freely and often in spiritual conversations. Talk about spiritual things, like Doug did with me in his Volkswagen. His life was so filled with Jesus, he couldn't talk about many things without Jesus coming up. He wasn't being forceful. He wasn't being abrasive. It's just his life. 
And if you're a Christian, you know Jesus. He's in your life. And, he, and, he's, and he's not just doing stuff way back then. He's doing stuff now. So have spiritual conversations about what you believe and who you are. And don't force it on people, but just kind of comfortably share. A, a friend of mine, a woman I was training in outreach, actually, she's a leader at a church in Dyer, Indiana, not too far from here. And she, she, we were talking about the challenge to share her faith. And so she had the woman who cuts her hair. She said, I've been, been getting my hair cut there for years, and, I, and I've just recently, she started to try to share her faith and look to have spiritual conversations. She said, every time I try to have a spiritual conversation, he said, she just really carefully closes the door. Just doesn't really want to talk about that. So, so I'm, I'm really careful, but things keep coming up, and I try to, she said, the last time I was with her, or one or two times before, she said, I, I told her, listen, if you ever want a Bible, I'd love to give you a Bible. It's a great book. And she said, the woman who cuts her hair said, no, thank you. I don't want a Bible. Okay. So she kind of just stepped back a little bit. She was careful. Again, you're not forcing it, but you're open to those conversations. So Karen's getting ready to go to get her hair cut, and she gets news about her daughter who had a series of surgeries, very complex surgeries, a lot of health issues. And she got news right before she went to get her hair cut that her daughter was really sick again and was going to have to have another surgery. And she was devastated. And she was going to go get her hair cut. She's like, I don't know if I want to get my hair cut because then I'm going to, you know, I don't want to, I want to be, I want to be a happy Christian when I see this person. I want them to see a happy Christian. But she said, I couldn't, it was too late to cancel. So she said, I went there, but she, she told me, I decided I'll sit in the chair. And she asked me, if I ask me how I'm doing, I'm going to say, I'm doing great. So she said, I sat down. And she said, this woman said to her, how's Nikki doing, her daughter? She said, how's Nikki doing? And she said, I just broke down and began to weep. And she said, I wept the entire hour she cut my hair. And I wept and I talked. And she told me that she said, I just, I just started, told her, man, it's so hard. And my heart is broken. And I love my little girl. And I, it's so hard to go through this. But she said, as I was telling her about Nikki and what was going on, she said, I didn't realize. I didn't mean to. I didn't plan it. But I talked about how the church had gathered around me and loved me and cared for me. And I talked about how the Psalms were comforting me. The Bible was comforting me. And I talked about how I couldn't make it through this without the, my relationship with Jesus. She said, I didn't realize that for a full hour, I, out of my pain, I talked about the presence and the power of Jesus. And she said, at the end of my haircut, this woman said to me, hey, a while back you offered me a Bible. Is that offer still good? She said, oh yeah. She said, okay, I think I'd like a Bible now. She was interested because she, she listened to Karen talk about her life and faith, and it was a spiritual conversation out of her brokenness. But Christ was present with her. And this, I think this woman thought, if that God could be with you in a time like that, maybe I need that God to be with me. Have spiritual conversations. Number four, tell your story and his story. Tell your story of faith and transformation. Talk about the difference God has made in your life. In John chapter four, the woman at the well, I love that story. This woman at the well meets Jesus, encounters him. She finds out he's the living water. She becomes his follower. And she goes back into the town and she says, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. And by the way, everything she ever did was not all good. But she, she began to share her story within hours of becoming a follower of Jesus. Some of us have been Christians for three years, five years, ten years, twenty years. Well, I'm not quite ready to tell my story yet. I'm not really quite ready yet. Just start to scatter. Tell about the change that God's making in your life now. Tell about the moment you became a follower of Jesus. When I tell my story about when I became a Christian, I tell about how Gretchen shared the gospel with me and how Doug shared the gospel with me and how Dan shared the gospel with me. So when I share my testimony, people hear the gospel three times. But they don't hear it like I'm saying, you're a sinner. I tell them, I found out I was a sinner and I needed Jesus. And they get to watch my story over my shoulder and hear the story of Jesus as I talk about how I heard the story of Jesus. And we can do these things. We can scatter as we love. We can scatter as we care and serve. We, we can scatter as we pray. We can scatter as we share the story and have spiritual conversations. I'll give you one bonus scatter. 
As Rob, as you were here talking about above and beyond evangelism, I love that term. Sherry actually whispered to me, I like that, that's a great term. Above and beyond evangelism. You can also scatter by the way you give. By the way you give. We as Christians in our culture today do not understand the power of what can be done through generosity. We, we really often miss it. And my wife and I have walked this journey for years of trying to say, how do we leverage everything we have for the kingdom? This is what I've learned. Now, now and I'm, I'm, you know, I've traveled enough down the road of life, and we've had enough chances to give and be generous. I have never regretted anything I've given away to the work of the kingdom. I have regretted all kinds of things I've done to spend money on myself. Lots of things. This is going to be great. This is going to make me happy. And it doesn't. But I look back at all that we've given to the work of the kingdom, and I go, that was invested in eternity. You can scatter that way too. My hope and prayer for you is that as you travel down the parade route of this life, you, know, you, you have one life to live for Jesus, one life to give for him. And he has given you a bucket full, a bag full, a, a bowl full of the gospel, of the love of Jesus, the, the good news of salvation, of the work that God's done on the cross. All this we have. And I want to ask you as, you as you travel through the rest of your life, Will you lock this picture in your mind? Will you ask this question? Am I this person? Is this how I'm living my life? I'm waiting for the wind conditions to be perfect, the right person, the right soil. Is, is this me? And am I going to get to the end of the parade route of this life and say, I just didn't throw much seed out there? Or am I going to just... Am I going to just, in the balcony, no. <laughs> Gently. Am I going to just live my life throwing it out there? That's, that's what Jesus is getting at here. This sower was out of control. This sower threw seed everywhere. And listen closely. Some of it found good soil. That's God's business. That's God's part. And that soil brought a harvest a hundred times for the glory of God. That soil fell on your heart. That, that seed scattered, hit the soil of your heart, and you became, if you're a Christian, you became a follower of Jesus, or you may be hearing it today, and your heart may be open. Now you go and scatter. When do you scatter? Where do you scatter? Lord Jesus, remind us that as smart as we may be, we are not smart enough to know if a person's heart is ready. Remind us that our calling is not to know. Our calling is to go and scatter. And I pray, Lord, for all of your blessing on this church, that you would multiply a hundred times what's invested in the work in this place. For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus, we pray. Amen.